Well, uh, starting 30 years seems like a long time, doesn't it? And I appreciate all your grace given to me and uh, the staff allowing me to stay on and uh, do my special ministry here in the Clinton area. Now, people started calling me Thursday and said, I'm not going to be there to hear you, Kent. I said, why? That's okay, but why? Well, the weather's going to be bad. Okay. So I told Marissa, I don't think there's going to be very many there. A lot of people are telling me. She said, oh, oh by the way, I'm going to Iowa. <laughs> Even my own wife went up to see the twins. So, uh, so it's just us right here today, and we'll do the very best. I was doing really good, all the jokes about my age and Angie and, and uh, who else, Angie and tell me, well, they were just in grade school when I came here in 83. Leslie was the other one. I was doing pretty good with that. And then one of my wife's best friends comes up to me. And Johnny, and she says, have you seen this picture? It was a picture of Susie down at the Republican Convention. I saw her on television a couple of times. I don't know if any of you watched that during some of the speeches, and I saw her. Uh, but this was a picture of Susie standing with some old Republican guy, Richard Hazlitt or something like that. And she said, you notice anything? She said, it looks just like you. He looks just like you. I thought he was some old man. <laughs> and then the more I looked at it, it did look like me. He does look. So she's going to send that into Panagraph. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Fourth chapter of the book of Hosea in your pew Bible. It's on page 966. It's a famous love story. Maybe you know it. For Hosea is a prophet to Israel. And God tells him to marry a woman who is, uh, well, shall we say, uh, she's uh, an unfaithful woman. She's not faithful to Hosea. And yet, Hosea takes her back. He forgives her. He is faithful when she is not. Now, I'm sorry to say that I'm sure there might be some here today that had to go through something like that in their marital lives. And you understand this story of Hosea better than anyone, no doubt. We know that this is more than just a love story. It's more than just a romantic story, more than just a story of marriage between Hosea and Gomer. It is a story of God and Israel. And more importantly, of God and us. If you don't remember anything in the sermon today, one lady came and had a fork in her hand. I think she was going to eat while I was preaching. But if you don't remember anything today, remember this. That we serve a God who, like Hosea, takes us back even though we have been unfaithful to him. Hosea in chapter 4 makes it an application both to Israel and to us, we are unfaithful people. Here we have a courtroom setting. When you think of a courtroom setting, I usually think of uh, 
Perry Mason or Matlock or I remember once Merle used to watch something called The Practice. The courtroom scene, they appear frequently in the Old Testament. When we think of God in the courtroom, we usually, he usually plays the role of, of, of the judge. Nations appear before him and he judges them in righteousness. But in Hosea, the fourth chapter, God is not the judge, but the plaintiff. It's not, you see, criminal law, but civil law. God brings a lawsuit against his people, Israel, and against us. He sues us for unfaithfulness, for, if you please, non-support. And some of you have gone through that, too, in your marital lives. Listen to the words now as we begin reading from the fourth chapter of the book of Hosea, because they're almost contemporary words, beginning with verse 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing and lying and murder and stealing and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land mourns, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, and the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, they're dying. Doesn't that sound a little bit like the mess we're in today? What's wrong with our society? Well, there's no faithfulness, there's no loyalty. Don't you sometimes feel that way? Once we could take people at their word. Remember in the old days, well, you don't remember the old days, but in the old days sometimes we used to shake hands upon an agreement and that's all that needed to be done. But now, oh, we get lawyers involved. Nobody, athletes, movie stars, they don't keep any, any agreements or any contracts. They don't keep their word. Times have changed. There doesn't seem to be much faithfulness and much loyalty anymore, either from the company to the employees or the employees to the company. We seem to be all in it for ourselves. And then when I read about these words, I thought, hmm, that sounds funny. Cursing, lying, murder, violence. You see, we live in a violent age. We ask to ourselves, what in the what has this world come to? Where's the faithfulness? Where's the loyalty? Why is there so much lying and hatred and bloodshed? Such disloyalty even affects the physical word, world that we live in, Hosea says. God cares about the world that he makes. And sometimes we conservatives haven't spoke out about the, the sins against the world, the environment. We, we leave it other to up to the liberals. But God loves his creation. The beast of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. Why all this? Because we seem to be looking out only for ourselves. 
And we don't really care about anyone or anything. Now let's go on and read in, in the fourth chapter, verses 4 through 6. But let no man bring a charge, let no man accuse another, for your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you, so I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest, because you have ignored the law of your God. I will also ignore your children. Doesn't that sound contemporary to you? What's the root problem? Well, keep on reading. Verse 7. The more the priests increase, the more they sinned against me. They exchange their glory for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And I will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them and for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not increase because they've deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution, to old wine and new, which take away the understanding of my people. What's the problem? Well, Jose said it's the priests. Now, some of you think, man, that leaves me out. I'm not a priest and I'm not a preacher. Must be talking about preachers there too. But, uh, but wait a minute. And in the New Testament, remember Jim and his devotional said, we are a royal priesthood. Here, Jose is especially relevant to look at the terminology used. The real question, have these attitudes invaded the priesthood of believers, the church, God's people, you and I? Is the problem that the church is in the world? No, the Lord prayed in John 17, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that the world is too much in the church. The problem in Israel is that the priests were acting too much like the pagans, like the culture, acting like the world. And isn't that our problem? We, we come to church and we can flip the switch and we look pretty good and we talk pretty good and, and I don't usually have to correct people's language or I don't have to say like I do sometimes at the coffee shop, what would you say? But then we walk out. We walk out. Isn't that our problem? Before you know it, we too are, as God's people, are not faithful to others. We lack loyalty. We share for other people. We might even find ourselves lying. As God's people, we too can lose our sense of responsibility for the earth in which we live in. Now, what's the root problem Hosea faces? That you and I face. We find ourselves in a world, a culture, where there's no loyalty, where there is violence, where there is selfishness. But we also find that the culture has invaded us. Look at that verse 6 again in the fourth chapter. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Did you catch that? Lack of knowledge. Now my twins were Merlin's celebrating her birthday, birthday with them 
this weekend. Uh, she called me up. Jill called me up. Said, "Mom said tell Dad this. He can use the sermon." I mean, she didn't come to hear me, but she's wanting to help my sermon uh, for you today. And said, "My grandkids, my twins go to Proco schools. All of you know. And Jill teaches in Proco school, and, and so it's brought some real different situations in their lives. These young little girls, and uh, so they asked Reese, "You want to pray tonight for the meal?" She said, "I'll pray." So she started out, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy, thy kingdom, and, 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 and she got stuck, and she said, and with liberty and justice for all, amen. <laughs> now that's not what we're really talking about, that type of lack of knowledge. What does it mean that we should go to Bible school more, or Bible studies more, or quiet time more? Yeah, probably. But for most of us, the problem is not that we don't know the Bible. It's that we don't know God. A lot of people almost have the Bible memorized, but perhaps they may not know God. It's not that they are ignorant or just didn't know. Many times we try to use that as an excuse when we do things that are wrong. I I didn't realize what I'm doing or, or that they didn't study enough. It's that they knew and yet they rejected that knowledge. Who was it wrote? It's not the things in the Bible I don't understand that bothers me, but the things in the Bible I do understand, but do not do. That's what bothers me. We're talking about knowing God, not simply knowing Scripture. And the problem is we don't let Him completely control our lives. Now, here's what happens. When we forget God, Ernie stopped by my office. He, he said, he was, what, what are you preaching on Sunday? Let me see your sermon. And he looked at, what am I, what's the name of this sermon? Oh, who is our God? And he looked at it, he said, well, everybody knows that. And he walked on, didn't even look at my outline anymore. But here's what happens when we forget God, starting with verse 12 through 14. They consult a wooden idol, and they're answered by a stick of wood. The spirit of prostitution leads them astray, and they're unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops and burn offerings on the hills under oak and poplar and terebinth. They're where the shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution, your daughter-in-laws to adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution or your daughter-in-laws when they commit adultery because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes, a people without understanding. A people without understanding will come to ruin. What happens when we reject God's exclusive claim on us? We start serving other gods. Well, you're saying, well, no, well Ken, at least this doesn't apply to me. But, but is that true? It is a word to us. When we forget who God is, when we forget that it, what it means to serve God alone, when we forget loyalty and faithfulness and love, and then we do precisely what Israel did, we make other gods. And we've talked many times about the gods of our age, or might be our job or our hobbies or even our homes, our recreation. But at least one 
God is hinted here in this passage in the 13th verse of the fourth chapter. They make their offerings, Hosea said, where the shade is pleasant. It's a God who's been around a long time. It's one God of Israel was tempted to follow and so are we. The God of the shade, the God of comfort. This is why we put above everything else. We Americans want our comfort. We think we deserve comfort. It's our right. It's not fair if we're not comfortable. We want a comfortable God. And we want a comfortable Jesus. And we want a comfortable church. But instead we have a God who says, you come and follow me and I'll lead you to eternal life. But the path will go by the way of the cross. Have we forgotten God? Have we rejected knowledge? If so, we're not faithful. We're unfaithful. It seems to be a bland, unremarkable word, unfaithfulness. Hosea uses another word for it, a strong, offensive word, translated sometimes in our scriptures, prostitute, but it also is translated whore. It's embarrassing to say it, but we should be more embarrassed to be one. The indictment from God, you have been unfaithful to me. But again, what's the good news in the gospel of Hosea? Well, we find it in chapter 6, the first few verses. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. For surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. If we're honest, we all must admit that there are times when we have forgotten who our God is. We've gone after other gods of our age because we love the comfort of a shade. But listen to the psalmist who'd gone through so many difficult things in his life in the 51st Psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sins is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then in verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, a renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of of your salvation and grant me with a willing spirit to sustain me. If we confess our unfaithfulness, if in this there is a desire to return to God each moment of each day, then there's good news. Yes, he's a God who judges, one who wounds, but he's also a God who heals. He brings us back as a bride, even though we 
don't deserve it. And that's the definition of grace. The language here is significance. Did you notice in verse 2? I haven't preached so long, Greg. I'm, I'm spitting so bad that the ink's running on my yellow tablet. I'm going to have to get an iPad. I think there's no other way. He restored us on the third day. We can't help but think of Jesus. In Jesus we see who our God is, the one who gave his only son, the God who raised him from the dead on the third day, the one who forgives and gives us new beginnings, the one who will raise us up at the last day, and even we've been unfaithful if we've turned back on him. We, it's unbelievable, but we may come back. That's the message of the cross. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I'll draw all people to myself. We invite you to come to Christ. Father, thank you for your love. Encourage us today not to get so hard down on ourselves that we've come to believe Satan's lie, that you can never forgive us. And may we trust in your forgiveness, the blood shed that covers our sins. We give you praise in Jesus' name. you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ this morning, we invite you to come forward. And during this time of commitment, if, if you would like someone to pray with you, I know many of us are going through some tough times. Uh, one of the ministry staff members up front will be happy to pray with you during this time as we sing our song of commitment. Oh Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center
be seated for just a moment. Um, if you have ever been blessed by a hospital call, um, a funeral with someone.